Welcome everyone to Future of Health with Providence St. Joseph Health on Dash Radio. I'm your host, Julie Alexandria, bringing you the very latest in healthcare trends and news each week. And today we're joined by Pat Majeski, Chief Development Officer from Providence St. Joseph Health, and we'll be talking about philanthropy and the role it plays in healthcare today. We're also joined by two guests, Dr. Raul Mena of Providence St. Joseph Medical Center in Burbank, California, and Dr. Christine Schaefer, who is a very involved donor, community, and board member at Providence St. Joseph Health. Now remember, listeners, everyone, if you have any questions for our experts and for our wonderful guests today, please feel free to submit them via our Twitter handle or our Facebook page while we're live here today. We're going to do our best to get to all of them if we can. And we can be found on Twitter at PSJH and on Facebook under Providence St. Joseph Health. And don't forget to use the hashtag future of health that's hashtag future of health and we're going to be on the lookout for those throughout the show so let's get it started first by welcoming to the show pat dr mena and dr schaefer thanks so much for being here today guys thank you now pat let's start with you here what can you tell us about your role at providence st joseph health well currently i am the chief development officer for providence st joseph health and that is for the system um I've been in this role for about two years. Previously, I was the Chief Development Officer for Providence Health and Services for the Los Angeles area. And how did you get involved? How did that come to be? Well, in 1999, I had actually um, moved to Los Angeles, and I had been in philanthropy at that time. And um, I was asked to consider a position with Providence. And at that time, it was Providence St. Joseph and uh, Providence Holy Cross. And it was uh, two different um, hospitals and two different foundations. And I was so moved by the mission and the individuals that I met that I said yes. Now, you hear the term healthcare and giving isn't always the next thing you think of. You think of cost. But why is giving so important when it comes to healthcare? Well, two, one is that we know that where healthcare is today and where it's going, um, that philanthropy is going to even play a bigger part. And um, there's a futurist, Ken Kaufman, and recently said that in the next five years, we're going to need new streams of revenue from 20 to 40 percent. And philanthropy can be vital in that, um, taking a part of that. But at the same time, it's not only about raising the money. We know that individuals who give, it provides a sense of hope, a sense of accomplishment, a sense of purpose, and a sense of healing. That's a tall order because there's a lot to take care of. How do you go about, where do you start finding these angels? Well, individuals often um, working with our physicians, and we'll hear later from Dr. Mena about working with individuals who say they want to give back. They want to share. They, wanna, they want to give back for being healed, for being cared for, or for their family being cared for. And Dr. Mena, I'm going to bring you in here because that's a perfect segue. Uh, over the years, you've been very involved in philanthropy, but you're also a board member as a donor, as a physician. I mean, it seems like your time is at a premium. Where do you find time to fit all of this in? Well, it's really interesting, but you derive such incredible pleasure out of accomplishing a project or having people participate in a project that it just it's like the Energizer Bunny. You keep going. I mean, I, I started at St. Joe's in 81, and I've been chairman of medicine, uh, chief of staff, director of research. Uh, I'm the director of the Disney Cancer Center, and I love every minute of it. It's a, it's a never-ending task. Well, I'm just going to run down a couple of your credits here. You're a very busy oncologist. You're a hematologist. Why have you been so generous with your time? I know you said that it fuels you personally, but... As far as dividing up your time and finding the time, 
Why was PSJH so important to you? I mean, most doctors strive for excellence, right? So if I'm taking care of someone with lung cancer, would you really like to hear I'm second best, go someplace else? That would, it's never going to work. Mm-hmm. We have to have the best there is to do the best for our patients in concert with the core values of the Sisters of Providence. One of them is excellence. So we need to do the right thing at the right time for the right reasons. And unfortunately, cancer care happens to be expensive. We have some magical drugs. The treatment of cancer has incredibly changed from taking a pill, a derivative of nitrogen mustard used in World War I, to incredible drugs that specifically target the cancer cells and kill them. So we need to identify what they are, identify the targets, and have a drug with less toxicity to kill that cancer cell. Mm-hmm. So all of those things require technology, require new drugs, clinical trials, and it's, it's, it's a never-ending book. So it's a, it's a journey that is just keeps on giving in terms of joy because you see other people getting better at it and living a healthier and happier life. So it's, like I said, it's the Energizer, energizer Bunny. In your opinion, if you could just maybe just give us an idea on the timeline when it comes to cancer, will there ever be a cure? How, how close are we? Okay. We've made a, f- a fatal flaw that there is a magic bullet that will deal with every cancer. All cancers are a little bit different. You could have a, an inherited predisposition to cancer. You could have a new acquired genetic abnormality not part of your family. We could reinvigorate our immune system to go after the cancer cells. So there's many different ways of attacking cancer. Thinking that there is a single magic bullet, it's a flaw. Mm -hmm. So we need to understand the cancer, identify its vulnerabilities, and then go after it. And one of the ways we can start with that is funding these programs for research. So I want to bring in Dr. Christine Schaefer. I wanted to ask you, how did you get involved and what was it about PSJH that really caught your attention and made you want to donate? The, um, my family was always involved in Catholic um, organizations and Catholic charities, but we had never been involved in health or hospital care. And a few decades ago, my husband was involved with another Catholic hospital where they were, he was doing some charity care, hospital-based dentistry for people that needed anesthesia and could not afford it. We largely did a clientele of um, patients with cerebral palsy that needed to have anesthesia, but we did it, they did it free of charge. So that made me aware of the charitable missions of the charitable mission of Catholic hospitals in general. And so then we got involved with Providence St. Joseph in Burbank because that was where my grandparents lived as well as where my family business was was um, housed. So that's how we picked St. Jo- St. Joseph's Burbank. And then, as Pat alluded to, um, Holy Cross came into play, and more recently, Tarzana. And my family has been involved as benefactors in, in actually all those campuses. Were you able to make the connection with Dr. Mena in Burbank? Well, we, did, we were part of the um, building of the Roy and Patricia Disney Cancer Center. And um, actually, most recently, uh, Dr. Mena is treating my mother for a cancer condition. So we've kind of reconnected that way, what was initially on a fundraising front, 
is now on a treatment front. So that's a good story. Wow, it's all come full circle. Yep. Yep. Well, Dr. Meadow, I'm going to bring you in on this. What can you tell us more about the Roy and Patricia Disney Center? I was fortunate to have uh, many colleagues who were uh, dreamers. I'm a dreamer. Uh, I have to be in this business. But we wanted to bring a different level of care. It isn't just about giving someone uh, a drug. Anyone can do that. But part of the goal, part of the dream was to listen to their dreams and aspirations, not only for them but for their family, and help them get there. Mm -hmm. We may not be able to cure everyone. We cure most people with cancer. Death rates are dropping like a rock. A lot of it is due to screening. A lot of it is due to the newer drugs. A lot of it is due to understanding genetics. But our goal was bring all of those innovations to your community, to our community. Mm -hmm. And as we began sharing that vision, that dream, the community really opened its doors. And we were able to raise most of the capital for the building in record time. We had uh, not only the standard radiation treatments and the surgical specialties and the medical oncology and the clinical trials, but part of it was an integrative medicine program. How do we make you whole? Mm How do we deal with your fatigue? How do we deal with a loss of hair? How do we deal with body image? How do we make you whole as part of your treatment? Really taking into account the whole body, the whole patient, and not just the disease pinpointed. You're a human being. Mm -hmm. You're an individual. Uh, You have unique needs, and we better understand those needs and serve you well. And speaking of serving well, Pat, I want to throw it over to you. I know that you are building tirelessly a culture of giving and a culture of philanthropy. What does that culture look like, and why is it so important? Well, it really is important. Like we shared earlier that our hospitals today, to continue the margin of excellence and and meet our mission, we do need philanthropy. We also, is a way for individuals to give back. Um, And it takes all of us. It takes from everybody who walking into the front door and meeting the receptionist to our physicians, to our non-clinicians, to our bedside clinicians. It takes a whole culture. It takes a culture that that the individuals who are being treated, they feel listened to, they feel engaged. And it needs to be part, for to be successful, it has to be integrated into our mission. And we do have that. We we stand on the shoulders of those who came before us. The Sisters of Providence and the Sisters of St. Joseph's always turn to the community, always ask for their help. And together, in partnership, they were able to create amazing um, ministries, as we call them, whether they are clinics, whether it's our schools, whether it's our, our health care facilities, whether it's our housing. Well, you mentioned community, which is so important. So when you look at that community, what kind of people would you say are most inclined to give? I know you had mentioned before also people with personal experience, someone who had gone through a hospital stay or perhaps battled cancer and then felt that they wanted to give back. But what sort of other people do you look for? Yeah, the majority of the people who give back to us are for our grateful patients. But we have individuals. I mean, we just have a, a, a individual who just left us in Oregon, uh, $10 million for a project, and um, it was a cancer project. And it wasn't, and he himself was never touched by by cancer. But he was so compelled to give by the fact that what was being done for the individuals in his community that he gave. So it doesn't matter where we are. We have individuals, of course, are grateful patients and their family members. But then we have individuals who want their communities to be the best. They want to have the best schools, the best health care, because they want to be able to provide for themselves, their family, and those who live around them. 
Absolutely. Well, we're going to continue this great conversation about giving back and philanthropy when it comes to health care here on Future of Health with Providence St. Joseph Health on Dash Radio. I'm Julie Alexandria. We'll be right back. I'm done with the drinking, I'm done with the smoking, I'm done with the playing, I'm done with the joking, I'm done with the ladies, I'm done with the fellas, just saying. Farewell tequila, so long ago Lady Sativa, I hate to leave ya, don't want the pressure, I don't need a lecture, no thank you honey, God bless ya. I know, I've said it all before, but it won't hurt. To do it all once more This is my last hurrah Once I start Welcome back, everyone, to the Future of Health with Providence St. Joseph Health here on Dash Radio. We're talking about philanthropy in healthcare and what that means. We're here with our guests, Dr. Raul Mena, Dr. Christine Schaefer, and Pat Majeski. So thank you so much for being here, the three of you. And Dr. Schaefer, I want to ask you, I understand that you and your family have been very generous donors over many, many years to so many projects. Why do you continue to give to all of the different programs and projects? Um, Historically, we've been involved in a lot of different projects with Providence and all the different campuses. We've done things from equipment to, as I mentioned, the Roy and Patricia Disney Cancer Center um, building, as well as my recent involvement with Providence Health International in in respect to their teams that go to Guatemala and they bring um, clean water, they bring sanitary latrines, they bring clean burning stoves to, to cities, and we've been involved in that. Um, We've also been involved, however, on non-health-related things on the campuses, like um, chapels that are important to the community, and not, and as well as the hospital staff. Um, and more recently, we're embarking on renovating the, the Stations of the Cross and the gardens um, outside of the chapel in Burbank. Um, but my actually, we my involvement continues because we understand as a family, my family, the importance of philanthropy in moving the healthcare needle. Um, I'm, I'm personally involved as well in other facets of the hospital, like um, being involved on committees, being involved. Um, I'm on the board of directors at the Institute for Substance Biology, which is an, 
uh, biotech research firm up in or, or organization not for profit in Seattle, of which uh, Providence is affiliated, and there we're interested, for example, in wellness and looking at the transformation of healthcare from a model of disease and treating disease to a model of wellness. And that's actually my, my recent passion mm. is, is looking at that and being involved in that. Um, when I have an opportunity, I also like to volunteer my time to write grants or help with fundraising activities that way, projects uh, when I can. Um, but part of it is, again, having the experience of giving and then being invested in the success of the hospital and move these projects moving forward is why me representing my family keep coming back and, and being donors on, on more projects and different, all different types of projects, actually. That is incredible. Do you feel like your work is never done, like there's always something else? There's definitely always something else and always something else that piques my interest. But I'm very proud to represent my family um, and their legacy, the hard work of my parents um, and the success that that's um, garnered them and the ability to be so generous and, and to participate in these projects. So I'm grateful from a different perspective as well um, as a donor, not necessarily as a recipient necessarily. So Sure. But that's, yeah. And you also had mentioned that this is a cause that's very near and dear to your heart with your mother. It is now. It's come full circle. At the time, we, I, there was no one in my family that had cancer um, at the time when we did Roy and Patricia Disney. But now, of course, I'm using it as a great resource. I'm grateful to have Dr. Mena and his expertise um, for my mother's care. So Now, Dr. Mena, I'm going to throw it over to you. Your experience shows that many physicians um, can be hesitant to get involved with fundraising. So many of them state that they feel a little uncomfortable mentioning funding opportunity with a patient. So how do you respond to that? How do you get over that hurdle? It's a very interesting question, and it's a journey. You don't start being a champion of fundraising. You first start with compassion and excellence. And as you build the relationship with a patient, you will always, if you listen, you will hear. And what can we do for you? Now, the you is the global you. It could be the hospital. It could be the building. It could be the research program. It could be the nursing station, and they're hungry, and they want pizza. But like Pat said earlier, our society is built on really goodness. We try to do the right thing for people at all levels. Not everyone is going to give a million dollars, but you'd be surprised how many gifts I get to the foundation for $10 and $5 and $25. And we try to send all these people a thank you note. It was important for them. They gave what they could. Mm -hmm. That taught me something. Everyone is a donor. Their capabilities of giving are different. Their interest in giving they're different. It's important for us to understand what moves them. Going back to the core value of excellence, I could not work without having a PET scanner. I could not work without having a radiation oncologist or good surgeons or good nurses or geneticists. All of those programs need funding. So to achieve excellence, I need to have all those people around me. It's a group effort. Oh, you, you have to. It's incredible. It, it's never one individual treating you. Mm-hmm. It could be the person wheeling you to the x-ray machine. It could be the dietitian. It could be a lot of different people who will touch your life. We just heard from Dr. Mena how it does take an entire team. So, Pat, how do you go about asking for these donations, and where does that begin? 
Well, it often people often self-disclose. They want you know they might give us through an annual gift. They might give us a gift through the uh, the website, or they might be referred to us by a physician or a board member or a community member. But once you meet them, then you have to find out what's passionate for them. Not everything not everything that we have makes everyone excited. So some individuals want to give to the PET scanner. They want to give to a new emergency department. They want to build a, a, a new breast center. But others don't. I've had individuals who wanted better concierge just for everybody. When they walked into the hospital, I once had a donor who said to me, Pat, you have all the bells and whistles you want, but I want somebody who does an extra special job at the front desk. And I and at that time I said, if you fund it and it proves to be, you know, worthwhile, would you consider that? And he said, she said yes. And we did it. And so some people want to give us we have causes, we have needs for mental health. Mental health is such a pressing problem. Mm-hmm. It's a, you know the number two killer in our young today. And so there's going to be individuals who want to do mental health. So it's really important once you you meet the person, you have to engage them. The more engaged, the more philanthropic they're going to become. And even if they don't become philanthropic, it becomes such a meaningful relationship with the individuals. As Dr. Mena previously said, some people who give $5 and $10. I remember when I was in California with the chief development officer, I would I tried to personally write a note to everybody who gave a dollar because most of those dollars came with a shaky hand. Mm-hmm. And you know that they were senior citizens, and you don't know if they took away from their food money that month. And so it's, it, it, no gift is too small or too big. But together, we could really, I really believe that philanthropy is the catalyst to change the world. And for the benefit of our listeners, uh, you had just mentioned the mental health programs, but also maybe a need for someone at the concierge desk. If you could just name maybe the top three of these programs that need the most philanthropic support right now, what would they be? Well, so it depends. We're a large system. We're 50 hospitals, and so it depends on where you are. We go from Alaska all the way over to Texas. Uh, you know, when we're in Southern California. Since we're sitting in California, I can tell you three big projects right now in California. But in this case, they're all building. So we have at Providence Tarzana, and Tarzana, we're building a brand-new campus. We have a 75 million dollar uh, campaign going on in Mission, Mission Vallejo. Mm-hmm. We're building a new cancer center. We have a $68 million uh, building going on at uh, Providence St. Joseph in Burbank. We're building a brand new emergency uh, department and a short stay, which is a $70 million. But in addition to all the capital, we have mental health. Every one of our communities needs you know, donations and help in mental health because it is a growing problem. It doesn't matter if you are in Texas, if you are in Walla Walla, Washington, mm-hmm. if you are in Spokane, if you're in Seattle. I visit all the areas, and I and the mental health. That's one of the pressing problems. Mm-hmm. We also have people who we have a need for individuals who want to go and make a difference, as uh, Dr. Schaefer mentioned in Guatemala. I mean, we do we bring clean water, we bring stoves, and a, a small amount of money goes a long way. So we have. We have needs for research. So the list is endless. It's just what resonates with the donor. What, you know, they will usually have a reason to want to give to that program, whether they, you know, they have experienced it themselves, a family member, or it's something that they really believe. And there are individuals who just want to change the world. 
Mm-hmm. Well, you mentioned mental health, and it is such a huge, huge problem that touches us all. And if you could just illustrate what sort of programs that you're focusing on when it comes to mental health. Some of the programs is working with clinics, making telehealth available. I mean, telehealth, you know, we can't have psychiatrists at every single one of our hospitals. We have the, we are, have the good fortune for telehealth that individuals can get psychiatric help going into their emergencies and, and receiving uh, clinical uh, services through the telehealth. That's one way. There's clinics in the communities. We're partners. Uh, Providence, uh, St. Joseph has just uh, actually made a commitment this past year in $30 million of money in grants and funding for just California for mental health. And that is because we know we can't do it all. We can't we can't answer every community's need, and we need partners. And so we work with individuals out there who can uh, can help us. But, I mean, I can tell you some of the grant requests I've gotten all the way from things that you would think about is, like, uh, supplies for somebody who's in, you know, who needs for overnight. I mean, just small supplies for that. Uh, we have uh, – there are areas that, believe it or not, that you have to clean up the, uh, the streets because of the drugs from the night before so the children can walk in a clean, safe environment. So the, the needs on mental health just go on and on, and it continues to be a sparring um, a problem. Where can people learn more about the organization and all the great work you're doing? Get on our website at Providence St. Joseph Health. And Dr. Christine Schaefer, I just want to bring you in one last bit here. We were talking about all of the wonderful projects before that you were involved with. When you think of your dreams for the community, what does that look like? Um, I think about dreams as aspirations of of things that we could do. And and my big thing is health equity. And health equity meaning that everybody has similar opportunities. And and they start with the same playing field. Um, If you don't mind the – you won't mind the sports analogy. But um, the first is, of course, medical determinants of health, which revolve around access to care and quality care. Um, as well as insurance and those kind of things. And that's usually what we think of when we think about health. But there's also a whole part to it that's social determinants of health. And this relates to economic well-being. It relates to safe environments. It it relates to access to um, healthy foods and these kind of things. And and I I look toward, you know, the future as when all those things will be equal for everybody, regardless of where you lived or what economic class or social class you belong to. We all had these – we all had – the same access to to economic determinants, social determinants, medical determinants of health. And then with that, I think what's important is we still need to participate in our own health care. And even if we had the level playing field and all these things are equal, we have to take ownership of our well-being and optimizing our health. And that's where my focus on wellness comes in and really to look through to philanthropy to fund these efforts so, so people can effectively participate in their own health care, and I think that's a, a, that is something that is across every social class, economic class, and even those that have don't do that. And I think that's a very, very important piece uh, for health care in the future and, and philanthropy. And if you have it, you should give it. We're talking about philanthropy and giving back to our communities when it comes to health care here on Future of Health at Providence St. Joseph Health on Dash Radio. I'm Julie Alexandria. We'll be back after this. See you shine in the night like the diamond you are. I'm the one that so right. Just hold me in the dark. No one's got to know what we do. Hit me up when you fall. 
Welcome back, everyone, to Future of Health with Providence St. Joseph Health here on Dash Radio. I'm Julie Alexandria, your host, and we're continuing the conversation. We're talking about giving and philanthropy in the communities and what that means. So I want to know, how has giving changed? Pat? I think that today the donor wants to be a lot more engaged. I remember in 1999, I had a donor walk into my office. I'd been there about two days and said, oh, I'm so-and-so. Oh, here's $50,000. Do with whatever program you need it. Today's donor doesn't want to do that. They want to know what's what's involved. They want to see a performa, if it's on a capital project. They want to ha- have input. They want to even have input into the architectural plans if it's a hard you know, program. But if it's a uh, if it's a, a program of providing services and all, they want to have a voice. They want to, he- they want to hear the reasons. They want to know about impact. And they want to have transparency. And they want to be included when... On a regular basis, they want you to report back. Do you find a difference when it comes to different generations and how they give? Today's, uh, yeah, the millennials, mm-hmm. they want it quick. They want it, the information is fast. They want it transparent. They want to be meaningfully engaged. And they might not give you any, any financial support until they feel that they've had a good experience with the organization. And it might be, and if you don't do it quickly and it's not a quick engagement, they might go on to something else. How do you satisfy that? You find out what really resonates with them, mm-hmm. and it might be you know it could be as little as put you know put an incubator program together and ask them philanthropically to give five hundred dollars, give a thousand dollars, and have a group of them together and ask them to pick a project they want to support and that they work together and that they work with the, the individuals, the participants, and, and who's providing the services and all, and that they see how it grows, mm-hmm. and then they see at the end. Does this measure up? Does this meet, meet the needs and our expectations, the strategies where they developed? And if there were challenges, how were they mitigated? 
And Dr. Shaver, how has it changed for you? I, I think Pat really speaks to how um, soliciting donor, donors and, and the donor experience changes from her perspective. But from a donor perspective, I think not only mine, but in general, we've moved away kind of from a bricks and mortar model where we were funding constructions and things. And we still have that need in our communities. For example, she alluded to Providence Tarzana building a whole new structure, um, largely for seismic compliance. But, um, but, but outside of that, a lot of it has moved to programmatic. And I think some of that is the whole shift toward population health and looking at the, the health in our communities. And those things are largely programmatic. And now if we talk about another transition to wellness, now you're really talking about how do we connect people into our hospitals through a wellness model? You know, what kind of technology can we afford them or tools? So now we're going from what was, again, bricks and mortars of a hospital to to what is kind of a virtual relationship with, with the community and programmatic-based donations or um, solicitations. So I think that's an interesting um, thing, and I see my own um, giving has evolved in that, in that fashion as well. So. How, how has it evolved? Where, where is it at right now? My, my interest, as I alluded to earlier, is really about wellness and, and to see about how um, we can bring the tools and, and the technology to, to bring wellness to our communities, but still anchor it in the hospital. And I think that's, that's something we talk about um, at ISB, the Institute for System Biology, and how we can, we can build that wellness model from a disease-based model to wellness. And, and people have the tools, again, to participate in their own health. And I think that's, that's really important. So my current interest in philanthropy is to that end, um, which... A lot of opportunity to the extent that there's a lot of, of topic areas. We do work in Lyme disease and autism and Alzheimer's disease. We do diabetes in this model. And then on, the, on a solutions end, so to speak, or on a, on a situation end, we do breast cancer survivor wellness um, programs as well. So all these things, the philanthropy is really what we need in those areas to move those needles because it's not going to be simply through private or other investment. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a good point when it comes to private. So we're talking about corporate versus individual investment and how the op- what opportunities are there when it comes to corporate versus individual? Well, it depends on the corporation and what their intentions are. Um, I mean, there's still special events if you want to support. You know, there's still the golf tournament. But you're finding in the whole world of philanthropy that special events are decreasing in number. And what most, a lot of uh, corporations really feel that they have a strong, they have a strong responsibility, as I've shared and Dr. Bennett shared earlier, is that, you know, we have a love of humankind. That's mankind. That's what philanthropy means. And so, and our corporations have, have a long legacy of giving. And I think that there's really more of a direction towards social responsibility and that they want to have a meaningful impact. So I've seen more and more of that. I've seen less involvement in, in things like a golf tournament and more saying, um, I want to give to the mental health. I want to make a difference. We want to make a difference. Once again, they want accountability and transparency, and they want to know what they're, they're giving, but they want to do something in one focus area that really resonates with them. And the, and the program might have been chosen just because the head of that program is something that touches their heart. And how do you get the message out? Because so much of being able to give is just knowing that the need is there. Yeah, I mean, the message is... For one thing, it's really, really important for us is that we, we share the message. Our physicians are our ambassadors. Everyone has to be an ambassador. Our board members, no matter what board they sit in, uh, our administrators, everyone. We have 111,000 employees at Providence St. Joseph Health, all ambassadors, sharing the story, sharing the mission. People are naturally curious. And once you start to talk about what you do, it's such a compelling mission. Philanthropy is not about going out and just asking for money. It's not. It's it's for if you want to know what philanthropy is about, you walk in one of our hospitals, you go in one of our clinics, and you look in the face of a patient or a family member, and that's what it's about. 
It's touching their lives. And you know what? They do more for us than we do for them because they touch our life. And they make us engaged. They make us feel meaningful. We feel so blessed to have this opportunity. Dr. Mena, how have you seen the change in the way in which people give? Giving is personal. And whenever you give something, imagine going to a store to buy a present, a wedding present, baptism present, whatever it happens to be. You think about it. You find something that expresses your willingness to give that is within your budget that will be remembered and it will make a difference downstream. Those are the principles of giving. And I have a very narrow field in the giving. I mean, I'm incredibly interested in finishing the emergency room project at St. Joe's. We don't check your insurance or whether you have money when you come in with your heart attack. We take care of you. We may get money. We may not get any money, but you will be cared for. So it's a vested interest for the community to support such a program. You never know where you're going to go. I've made it a point to thank the donors and let them know with the gift that they have given how it's made a difference. How do you do that? Well, it's, it's, it's my favorite project remains the genetics program because as you find that you may be at risk as a family, I will let you know that another family suffered a loss, identified that there was a genetic cause for the cancer, and they gave to the organization to have something that will help you. So you're making the connection. You have to make the connections. At that point, it becomes personal. Someone did this for you. And Pat, I want to bring you in on this as far as corporations are concerned. how has it progressed with corporations as far as the giving? I think that you hear a lot about it, and you see a lot of activity in the area of social responsibility. People want to give back. Corporations want to be good social uh, citizens, partners in the communities, and you'll see a lot of uh, uh, corporations coming to not only healthcare. Whether it's you know it could be the environment, it could be healthcare, it could be education, but they really want to take a stake in the ground and they want to make a difference. And they say socially, we are going to do this area. We're going to be focused in this area. But along with that, they also not only give of their their financial uh, means, they also encourage their staff to be very involved. I mean, if you go to big corporations like Amazon and all, part of volunteering in the community is part of your service at the organization. And there's a responsibility to do that and so and an expectation to do that. And so I, I think that it's not only of the financial, but it's the gift of time also. And they have that expectation. And that's part of the culture. That's fantastic. I hope Every corporation does that. There's a lot of corporations that do that. And that's a big difference. That wasn't before. Universal Studios, the same thing. That's somewhere local. Mm -hmm. Uh, They do the same thing. They have a culture of giving. We're going out in the community, working in nonprofits, working at the hospital. Um, The Disney Corporation, a lot of different corporations are following that model. That's wonderful. And, of course, we are going to throw it over to you, the listeners, when it comes to social media, because next up, we are going to go to our Twitter and Facebook pages, and we're going to hear and answer some questions from the community. So thank you so much. This is The Future of Health by Providence St. Joseph Health on Dash Radio. I'm Julie Alexandria. We'll be back after this. Whoa, oh, oh, oh. Baila, 
Háblame como si fuera la última vez Y enséñame ese pasito Que no sé, un besito bien suavecito, bebé Taqui, 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 rumbo of Health with Providence St. Joseph Health here on Dash Radio. I'm Julie Alexandria, and we're talking about philanthropy and giving back to communities. So, Pat, I want to throw it over to you here. Do you find that people want to give in more of a research capacity when it comes to philanthropy? Some people want to give to research, especially if they've been touched by an illness, a disease, or a family member. We have Alzheimer's, we have cancer, we have uh, cardiac issues. I mean, uh, we know that heart attacks kills you know so many people every year. Um, and so, if they've been touched by it, they they do. They want to be able to give back to the community, so it doesn't happen to them or their 
family member or their friends. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and research is is taking a much more prominent place. And we know with all the researchers that we have and the possibilities, and we are very anxious. You know, as a we want immediate gratification. Research takes time, mm-hmm. and so sometimes that, that gets that's a challenge because people want answers immediately. But yes, there's more and more people who are. I mentioned that the ten million dollars that was given to our Oregon uh, hospitals it was for research, and so and we have pockets of um, within the Providence St. Joseph Health that a lot of money is donated to research, and then others we're just starting in that area. What kind of research is most popular with donors? What are I, people really intrigued by? Uh, cancer and genetics, and Alzheimer's now, mm-hmm. but uh, cancer and genetics probably the the number one uh, area of research. And and you're seeing some in neurosciences with strokes and uh, and different disabilities um, in in that area. But I, I still find more in cancer. Dr. Christine Schaefer, is that something that interests you? I know you have mentioned all of the different ways in which you've been involved, but sort of how does research fall into your philanthropic givings? I think that we have a big focus on cures, which is definitely the goal in all these arenas. But to move the needle, we need to take the first step, and that is toward getting the research work that was being happening at the bench at the universities and at ISB and getting it to the bedside and getting it to our communities. And a lot of that is setting this transition from, from wellness to disease. And how do we keep people in the well segment of their life? And I think that's, that's the really important part of the research as a first step. And certainly all the, the uh, momentum we can get into that area, then, we're, then it will lend itself to the cure piece, ultimately. Because there are certain things. My husband passed of melanoma 15 years ago. Um, they tell me today he would not have passed because in 15 years we've made such great strides in melanoma research and melanoma work that he would not be dead today. And so I think that's important. And that's really a short time frame. And we do want immediate results, but I think we have to take steps to get in that direction. So that's where I see research and being able to, again, the philanthropic effort to get the bench work and the discovery to the delivery of health care, I think is, is so important. And again, so many opportunities, be it Alzheimer's, be it diabetes, be it autism, you know, so much work there. Um, and, and Pat's right. We were motivated by someone who has that or has died from something. But even as a community and as a population um, health of our, of, our, of our neighbors, I think it's important work. You have so much personal experience with all of this, but how do you engage other donors? I'm a different kind of donor, I think. I don't, I don't like to do events or attend events. I'll be glad to buy a table and have you sit there if you want to come. Uh, to a gala that's not my thing, but I I participate on committees. I participate in writing. I love to write. I participate um, in in, in programs that way, but more as a behind-the-scenes person. That's more my my style, but that's just my personality. Um, Other people are much more social about it, and there's definitely... um, We talked about moving away from more um, event-based giving to maybe friend-raising events, but I think the event-based stuff is important because that's a spot donation and not to be confused with like these bigger projects or longer-term commitments. And there's a, there is a donor for that kind of work, too. And so we're consolidating it by becoming more regional in this event. We don't have three golf tournaments anymore. We have just one, which makes a lot of sense um, because of the economies of scale in that. So, yeah, I, I am a different kind of donor, but I think there's, there's so many opportunities and, again, so many different causes um, and, and, and places to donate your money in, in the hospital setting or the system setting. Do you do a lot of friend raising? I like that word, friend raising. You like the friend raising? I do. I think it's great. Uh, I, 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 I do like friend raising. 
um, because that's when you can spread the message and you can get the word out there. And we're talking about how do we – my enthusiasm for the things that I do, and it's in this friend, this friend entity and, and fundraising rather than fundraising, to identify people who have common interests and get them enthusiastic about a cause because I think that naturally then dovetails into the fundraising piece. And, and then, the, then the stewardship that comes from that. It's not always for the ask. It's about building relationships. It's about, again, friend raising. And that we can make them aware and spread that message. And I think that's the better venue for that than them knowing that there's going to be an ask. Is we avoid the ask at the first pass. And we simply make people aware of what we're doing and our mission. And the, different, the variety and the diversity of the events that we have of the causes that we support. What has kept you at Providence St. Joseph Health for so long? What's kept you there? It's interesting. There's, there are many stories uh, about my level of interest. I trained at Harbor UCLA Medical Center in the South Bay. I went to medical school in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And the mission of the Sisters of Providence got me there. Uh, their vision of giving back to the community. And it's sort of a personal story. I was born in Cuba. Mm. And I was one of the children from an airlift called the Pedro Pan, Peter Pan Airlift. President Kennedy, between the bail pigs and the Cuban Missile Crisis, they airlifted about 18,500 children. Mm-hmm. And I was sent to Albuquerque, New Mexico, where I went to junior high school, high school, college, medical school. My parents came about when I was in college. I came as an eighth grader. These individuals didn't give money, but my foster parents, who had never knew before, Two sets of them took care of me for two and a half years each time. So the the gift that they gave us was schooling, values, education. This is my opportunity to give back. Mm -hmm. So in looking at the core values of the Sisters of Providence and their commitment to help the communities that they serve fit with my personal goals and aspirations. It really spoke to you. Oh, yeah. These are individuals who didn't do it for riches. They did it to do the right thing for the communities that they served. And that's an example that resonated with me. And it resonates with the donors. Their mission drives the whole system. Mm -hmm. They will always try to do the right thing. It's no better message than that. That's an incredible story. You came here in eighth grade. Yeah, 12 years old. That's an absolutely incredible and beautiful story, and I do want to keep on the topic of the mission and the journey and the message. Pat, if you could just share that with us and what exactly that message is. Our message is we invite others to join us on this journey and to really to bring to our communities, whether it be to population health programs, whether it's mental health or if it's wellness programs or if it's uh, providing the uh, needed capital that we need to build a new campus or to to buy an accelerator whatever whatever resonates we ask people to join us and we ask them first not to just go blindly learn about us learn about what we're trying to do learn about the people that we're trying to touch we have a mission to 
provide care for all. So now we're going to open it up to social media. And you know, you can always reach us. You can send in your questions to our experts and our guests. Please feel free to submit via our Twitter handle or our Facebook page while we're here today. And we can be found on Twitter at PSJH and on Facebook under Providence St. Joseph Health. So we're going to check out Joy on Twitter. She asks, and Dr. Schaefer, I'm going to direct this one to you. If I make a donation, can I determine where it goes, like cancer research? Um, at the highest level, there would be restricted and unrestricted giving. And unrestricted giving lets, a, lets that go into a major, a general pool where they can use it as the need dictates. And that's always good, very positive for the fundraisers. But on the restricted end, absolutely, you can earmark where you want your donation to go to, um, and, and maybe more than one cause. Um, there's always, like I was talking about earlier, diversity of, of need in terms of um, equipment, in terms of programs, in terms of research. There's so many opportunities, and you can certainly earmark it for one or more of those. Excellent. And Pat, the next question is for you. This is on Facebook. This is from Sharon. Can I do other things to help other than donate money? That's a great question. Sure, you can volunteer at the hospitals, uh, you can volunteer at our clinics, you can join a committee, you can, um, you know, share your, you know, your interest in joining a board. Um, There's lots of opportunities. You can, you know, if you're young, you can volunteer. High school students are encouraged to, uh, you know, because actually philanthropy starts early and we encourage our high schoolers to get involved in our, in our uh, clinics and our hospitals. What kind of activities or sort of volunteer positions would there be available for a high school or college student, uh, per se? You know, sometimes it's just it's uh, wheeling patients around, uh, uh, directing people, family members taking them, could help, you know, on the floors, doing different errands, taking information, you know, transporting different information and all. There's lots of opportunities for high schoolers. And Todd on Twitter wants to know, what are the most unique programs that you have to make a donation to? Well, it depends. If you're running them, you think every one of them is unique. But, I, you know, I do think that, like, you know, we've talked a lot about, I, I do think that there's a lot of opportunity for mental health. Um, and because it does touch widely, it touches our whole universe, um, that's an area. Um, I also think that if you're interested in international programs or global partnerships, uh, if you're interested in research, if you want um, in each community has different priorities and different strategic uh, initiatives. So uh, it depends on where you live and what you're interested in. Fantastic. And Dr. Mena, I'm going to throw this one over to you. This is Kelly on Twitter wants to know, what kinds of research programs do you have that people can donate to? Is it just cancer or is there Alzheimer's? And what other certain diseases and programs do you have that are open for that? I'm very provincial. So cancer is always my goal. But in reality, we do a lot of work with newborns. We do a lot of things with population health. We do things, how do we keep people fit and happy and healthy? Even with our, the employees of St. Joseph's, we have, they wear a Fitbit. And they get points for staying healthy and walking 10,000 steps. They're, the numbers of things we do is truly enormous. So it depends what people are interested in. And there's always room for something new and a new idea. But it better have an impact on the community that we serve. That's why we're there. Mm -hmm. Does having a doctor help while raising funds? This is a question from Ryan on Twitter. He wants to know, does having a doctor help when raising funds, and do people feel more confident knowing that you're involved? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, In many ways, we possess information through our training and experience 
that will help you understand the need, the potential outcomes, and how long it takes to get something done. If you look at research alone, it may take 10 years between a concept to a drug or procedure being accepted. That's a long, long time. Mm -hmm. And the research to get a drug on the market costs tremendous amounts of money. And volunteers who gave off themselves, right, not knowing whether the drug will help them or not to help the next generation of people. And those are donors. They're giving their own body for research. Because sure. we truly don't know whether it works or not sometimes. Right. And it, that's a gift. That's a form of donating something to, the, to an organization or to society. There's just seems like an endless list of ways to give. It is <laughs> truly an endless list to give. And this question is from Tessa on Facebook. You guys talk a lot about donating and giving back to communities. How does that work with fundraising? Are they separate dollars? Pat, I'll get that one to you. So we, we are part of the community. We want to be good community partners. And we can't do everything. So we have to partner with other nonprofits. And we give, we give donations to other nonprofits so that we can partner with them. Because we have a lot of different other, a lot of issues. We can't, we can't. You know, tackle all the senior problem, you know, issues, and we can't tackle all the, uh, you know, after school pro- problems, all the socioeconomics, and and so we have to be good community partners, and so we have to give back out to our communities. Who are some of those community partners? Oh, they could be all the way from the boys and girls clubs. We give to a lot of clinics because we don't run all the clinics. We give to a lot of low-income clinics. Um, there's a lot of money in that area. Um, we give to some after-school proj- uh, programs, especially in uh, lower socioeconomic uh, neighborhoods. We have we run a lot of programs out there. So after you know, at the end of the day, the kids don't have to go home to an empty house. And and so and some of it, some of our programs is just for seniors. You know, we know that if seniors Seniors are engaged and not isolated. They're going to stay well. They're going to feel purposeful. One of the programs that we have with Providence St. Joseph that I think is one of the most exciting programs is that, and it's known, but probably not as known, is that we have a daycare adult program up in the Pacific Northwest and a child care program together. And I visited that program several times. I can't tell you how exciting it is. The seniors are engaged. They're happy. They're talking. They feel valued. And the kids, Mm. they love it because they get all of this attention. And they get somebody to dote on them, an older person, a grandparent type of person. And it's just, it's so, it is, just brings such life to both generations. Well, I'll ask you this last question from Stan on Facebook. Wants to know, do most companies match donations to your hospitals? In my experience, most companies do not match donations. Um, but some do. And some of the bigger ones, I know from my, from my experience, Merrill Lynch does matching. I believe, for example, Microsoft does matching uh, more and more. And I think even if you don't have an established program, appeal to your employer to potentially match it. Um, if, if not that, we can always do collaborative, again, collaborative programs where we have a matching. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Schaefer and Pat and also Dr. Mena. Thank you so much. We appreciate your time and for being here and sharing all about philanthropy within the community. 
We will be back next week where we're going to dig in deep to another pillar of work with our Providence St. Joseph Health experts. Make sure to follow Providence St. Joseph Health on social media, PSJH on Twitter and Instagram, and Providence St. Joseph Health on Facebook. If you happen to miss any part of the show, remember you can always replay it here on Dash Radio and share it with your friends. I'm Julie Alexandria for Dash Radio. Thanks so much for listening.